Welcome to GWC Podcast number 345, recorded October 14th, 2012. In this episode, we discuss the historic War of the Worlds broadcast, getting ready for Halloween. Boom. But first, your hosts, three unrepentant sci-fi geeks. I'm Chuck Cage. And one day you end up a big evil, you know, crap ass. And with me, Audra Hester. If I had a nickel for every time I got boned at the Eye of Jupiter. And Sean O'Hara. <laughs> I shall fart. <laughs> Our mission, enjoy new science fiction, fantasy, and other cool stuff every week and share the experience with you. Oh yeah, and have some fun in the process. GWC is brought to you largely by the generosity of listeners like you. It's your donations that keep us going. For more information on how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com support. And the fine folks at audible.com. Visit www.audiblepodcast.com watercooler for your free audiobook. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions, too. So if you have something to say or, hey, you could introduce us to something new, don't just holler at your MP3 player. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229, extension 701. And leave us a voicemail for inclusion in a future show. Better yet, you can join the GWC community, a group widely recognized as the friendliest people in sci-fi, and watching, reading, and enjoying all kinds of cool stuff 24-7 over on galacticwatercooler.com, our website, blog, and forum. GWC is a spoiler-free podcast, and we define spoilers as definitive information regarding material not yet released in the United States or its country of origin. In short, if it's out, it's fair game. Welcome back, everybody. The dance never gets old. Greetings. <laughs> That's good. Lots, lots of years we've been watching you do the dance. <laughs> awesome. Chuck trying to sound excited. <laughs> um, whenever I do. For, for many years now, we've watched you do the dance. I'm What's excited. Up? It's my birthday today. Bueller. It was a big explosion. Everyone was killed. Whenever I do like a, a dance, I always do like as as an example of a dance. I always, every single time, do the gopher. Yeah, you know? from Caddyshack. Yeah, the yeah. gopher. He, he does. He does a little. Actually, it's not even the gopher. It's sort of like a modified gopher cabbage patch. That's true. That Chuck does. That's how it's. <laughs> I always Cherry thought, gopher. I always thought that the gopher was kind of a modified cabbage patch. He's hmm. thinking about it now. He's imagining everybody. Wait, is the got... cabbage patch? Is that this one? Yeah, yeah. that's that's the. Right. <laughs> it looks like you're uh, churning butter. Or yeah, something. exactly. Ish, yeah. It's it's very it's very butter churnish <laughs> type of thing. You know, it's see, and I've always loved doing that kind of stuff. Like when um, uh, what's his face did the history of dance, I was like, crap, he beat me to it. You know, because I always I always identify. Of dance, I don't know. Or, yeah, that you know Peter Weller. Talking? No, that would no, be no, awesome. No. The, by the way, yeah, I would watch today that. Today we're going to talk about the lawnmower. I would totally watch that. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, Sean just did this uh, awesome <laughs> Peter Weller doing. Uh, but no, it's the you, I'm, you had to have seen this. You know what I'm talking about? It's the YouTube. Dance. The YouTube video where the dude goes through the history, the last sixty years of dance in five oh, no, minutes. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, that's cool. I got. Yeah, check I'm that kind out. of uh, meme impaired. 
Wow. It was it was a couple years ago. I'm he, just meme impaired. That's awesome. I will pull it up for you. It, it is the it, it's it's incredible. He goes through and does the, like the last sixty years. He starts with like you know everybody do the twist and ends with you know at the time this is when it was coming out like Eminem and InSync and all that kind of stuff oh, wow. and InSync doing the you know the, the oh god the marionettes oh yeah the marionette yeah, style stuff I mean lame. he goes through all of them Some in of the five minutes dances though were before the twist like from the 20s what, like 30s the 40s or... <laughs> no like the charleston and you know did you ever see that movie the artist yeah that's awesome like like the 20s and 30s like that time period there were some cool dances. shannon and i went and took a a uh dance class that did uh uh like the all like the charleston and swing dancing and all that kind of stuff so we we actually went to go learn it and everything because we were going to a wedding at the time that they were going to be doing that. It was like a period wedding. You know, oh, I, wow. I say period, but you know, like a forties wedding. <laughs> Everyone acts like they're on the rag. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it Chuck was just gave me this look like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it has a different connotation when you don't put Charleston in front of it, doesn't it? Um, but Everyone uh, do the Charleston chew. <laughs> but, uh, and I went in like a zoot suit and she went as like a flapper. Really? Oh Yeah. Yeah. You own a zoot suit? No, you rent it. <laughs> Did you ever see Hell, um, I own a where zoot suit. You rent and, uh, a zoot suit. Uh, you go to any of the the uh, uh, like not just like the standard, tuxedo shops. Well, no, 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 no. They they won't have a zoot. Yes, I would like one zoot suit, please. Did you? What's her name from Glee? plays the coach why can't i think of her name yeah jane lynch did you remember and i haven't watched glee since like season one but do you remember when she she showed up on the date with the newscaster or whatever when she's wearing a zoot suit with a big like carmen san diego hat i actually thought it was kind of (laughs) hot it was awesome (laughs) (laughs) no you go to like any of the the rent a costume places you can rent a zoot suit no problem You know, we went down to we the the one over next to Chrome. There's a place called Rose Costumes, and we went over there. I'm like, yeah, we're doing a wedding, and it's like 40s period. She's like, yeah, I've had a couple of y'all. Come on, what color do you want your zoot suit? I'm like, pimp and purple. She's <laughs> of like, of course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you need a cane with like a fist on the top, like Biff's. No, I actually stole a cane. My dad collects canes, so I. <laughs> I was I, thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you got that covered. Yeah, he has a cane with a big, like, it looks like a glass doorknob. Oh, in fact, it is a glass doorknob, but it looks like a, a big diamond on top. So I had that. Oh, my God. And, oh yeah, it was great. But. Do you have like uh, those those shoes? What are they called? Like wingtips or whatever? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, and, uh, the pointy shoes with the little metal hair. thing and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. Sean I mean, sticks his head in a bucket of lie. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Sean is white and has straight hair. That's that's I, I was joking. I mean he I doesn't I thought, have to straighten his hair. <laughs> well, what I was thinking is the the conk actually wasn't a perfect straightener. It ended up having that rimmer wave to it. Right, yeah. yeah. Pretty easy to get, especially with my hair. But yeah, it was it's a lot of fun. I can't remember how we got on this, but... Yeah, joking, Chuck. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I'm it's bad at joke. that. It's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I Thanks, just, Biff. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one with the cane. <laughs> you sound like an idiot when you say it like that. Make like a tree and leap. You sound like an idiot when you say it wrong. Uh, now, I have spent most of the last week on um, on Forza, actually. Nice. They, they released a, a car pack with... Uh, um, it had two things that I had to have a smart car so I could like drift with a smart four. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, 
it's so awesome. They released the the car pack with the Chevy or the GMC fifteen hundred Endura van. It's the eighteen van. Duravan. <laughs> yeah, it's like Endura or whatever. Da, da, da. Oh yeah, and they've got the brought to you by Dow Duravan. It never stains. <laughs> What they did just hose they, it out they've from got the inside. The, the packs on it that you can uh, or the nice. um, the accoutrements so you can put the big wing on the top and the the front thing. So I did. I made the eighteen van, you nice. know. And so I entered it. I'm like, what can I enter this in? So I went through and I'm like, European, uh, European switchback national. So I'm racing against all like these Beetles and Fiats and everything, and I've got this big giant Chevy eighteen van, eighteen van. I'm like, yeah, Farfuck Nugan this bitch, you know, and I'm chasing them down. <laughs> and stuff. It's great. I, I've been. I've Reminds been doing that all me week. of GT two doing the uh, doing that European race and the Yo, Cobra. <laughs> Remember how you made your money in GT two? Oh yeah, totally. over we, and over and over. Or until you get the the Castrol Supra or Castrol Supra. Yeah, yeah. But you what you do is trick out a uh, trick out one of those four wheel drive Japanese cars oh, yeah. and then run it in the American Classic. Yeah, go and get then the, you got the, that's it, and you got the Cobra for the win, which you sold because you had like forty of them. Oh yeah, this then, unending supply of rare Cobras that they just give you every time you win the race by like rubber banding the controller down. Oh yeah, and then you go until you get the <laughs> Suzuki, um, the Suzuki rally car, and then it was just over. Right. Are you sure? No, can, th- is that the Pikes Peak Escudo yes. or whatever? Yeah, yes. yeah, that's the Suzuki, whole reason. Right. Yeah, that's the whole reason I played that game was to get that Pikes. Yeah, Peak. Oh yeah, you get that, <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> Things take it's a like, turn. You know? the, it, the car weighs like 200 pounds and has like 4,000 horsepower. <laughs> it, like it, it defies it, laws of physics. You it know? doesn't even touch the ground. <laughs> you look at the back tires, you can see the knobbies on them and everything. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is going to go well. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you can do all that stuff with the Forza, and it's it's ridiculous now. I, it's it's great. I love Forza 4, and, and I keep playing it. Like, I, I have a pacer that, that has like a thousand horsepower and and like big. That's pretty funny. A thousand horsepower pigs. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. You know. When you well, mentioned smart car, uh, Chuck and I were out uh, riding bicycles the other day, and it was really funny because you like you can't move over to the right side of the lane because if you do that, people will drive in the same lane you're in. Well, it's the same thing people do with motorcycles. That yeah, way. right. right. You, so you, you ride to, in, in the, the middle, middle of the lane. lane. Yeah, yeah or no the matter where track. you are. Yeah, yeah. So, like so I people just, have yeah. to like yeah. take the lane next to you. You know. But it was really funny because everyone was taking the lane next to us. And, uh, and usually, I don't know, people won't usually mess with you, you know, generally and we're on the bike route, but this little smart car <laughs> is like, meep, meep. And, and comes up and like cuts us off kind of, and Chuck's like, it finally found someone it could screw with. <laughs> Cause all the like, you know, Texas trucks are like messing with the smart car yeah, and, it's then, real and hard. then it sees us on the bikes and it's like, my time has come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the prophecy is here. <laughs> you are so incredibly, incredibly powerful that you can push that right foot down. Yeah. You know, when I go faster on that bike, yeah, <laughs> that requires effort. Okay. I'm blowing dead dinosaurs out of my butt. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it kind of reminds me of that, um, that on Top Gear, the the one time when they were jacking around and they had that that Porsche and and uh, Hammond sitting in it, and he's like, "This is powered by bagels or cereal or whatever I had for lunch." And it's it's like this shell like of a, a Porsche 911, engine. and he's it's got the bicycle pedals on it and everything oh like that. It's, oh, I thought it was a methane that's engine. Awesome. That'd be cool. No, it's it's powered by. Fruity Pebbles, if you wish, you know. I, I mean, thought you're gonna talk. I thought you're gonna say that Clarkson one where there's that car that you can like pull around like a suitcase, and, <laughs> and he drives it into the BBC studio. The uh, was it? Is it? Starts with a P. P. 
Pal, 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 I can't remember. I, I don't remember. I just saw the episode P, recently. Whatever. You know, he's, he's like, could you push me back? You know, he's in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is awesome. That is my favorite. Yeah. That is my favorite yeah. Top Gear. Peel 50? P.O.P. 50 or something yeah, like something, that. Something yeah. like that, is, as I recall. It's the little that's blue it. one, yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. That is the best Top Gear segment ever of any kind. When he's oh, driving around in the that. BBC with it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, know. some of them are funnier and some of them are more over the top, but that one is just perfect. I would agree <laughs> that it is the best segment. It is not the best show. That's what I meant. No, no, the, that's what I meant. Vietnam was the best one for me. I, I'm with you. Well, no, the North Pole was definitely. The North Pole one was pretty awesome. That's, the North Pole was good, I but Vietnam was like I love, that show, but I love You just love his one. reaction to I like when Clarkson's trying to take a dump off the, the end of it and they take off. <laughs> oh, no, that's... Uh, yeah. That's May. May. Yeah, May oh, was yeah. on the, the bumper dumper. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I love the Vietnam one. You know, it's like Hammond can't eat anything. Clarkson can't get his, his motorcycle to go. They paint his bike pink. You know, I don't know. Which, when they buy the suits, that's pretty cool. Oh, it's okay. freaking mm-hmm. awesome. You know, I, I don't know. I love that whole Vietnam rock and roll. I, I agree. That one's really good. But I just, uh, the North Pole one is just too much for me. I I didn't like the North Pole one just quite as much because they they all weren't together and and you know I saw the dog team and and you know Hammond was having a difficult time with it I felt bad for the dogs and stuff I felt bad for Hammond I felt bad for Hammond and the dogs really he looked like he really was, was miserable. having a bad time yeah, he was he was pretty miserable <laughs> I mean he was an actual pain you know I mean it's it's like I would never go to there's like when you watch those shows like the Yukon men or anything like, have you seen any of the new uh, no. uh, shows on discovery no. and, and history channel and stuff? They got like the Yukon. It's like real life subsistence living in Alaska, which hmm. sucks balls. I mean, no joke sucks balls. Like if we don't catch fish today, we're not going to eat for the next month. That sucks. You know, it is motivation. <laughs> exactly. You know, if, if we don't trap rabbits, we have no food. And it, it, you know, you, you and now they've got this cameraman tagging. It shows along them at the shopping them. mall in Wasilla, like going to the pet store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm up for your rabbits. That's awful. <laughs> what is it with you today? <laughs> Them's good eating. I mean, they look fluffy. Okay, I got two things that I got to mention here in our little intro. Uh, number one is I got to give a shout out to uh, GWCer who oh uh, Jedi Dunn yes if you want to follow him on Twitter he's a lot of fun uh, uh, Jedi Dunn he is uh, a GWC listener he competed yesterday in the Kona Ironman and props to you and yeah did, which is yeah. which is the triathlon the world championship triathlon in Hawaii yeah so there and, are triathlons and there are triathlons right I so mean how long is each segment again yeah 2.4 mile swim 112 mile bike ride and a marathon yeah so 26.2 mile right. run at the end of it yeah, I don't he, travel that much in a day in a car <laughs> I know. that's awesome God, I felt so bad like when you see uh, you see the people come off the bike and then begin a marathon they've been you know they've been all out they've there. got to do left. That was my favorite quote. All they've got left is a marathon. They they get off the bike though, and and they've been on it for like hours, like yeah, five three, hours, four, yeah. five hours. Yeah. Oh my god! And you see them get off the bike and and start running, and and like they have to go in this little tent and put their shoes on and stuff. And they come out the other side, and they're they're sort of running, but they're kind of half bent over. <laughs> and it takes them like two miles before they actually can run upright. 
Well, I'd, be, you, I'd look, be asleep in the tent. I don't know. <laughs> they look pretty upright. I think it's just, I know, I mean, I have one one little experience We because we're training for that much, much, much shorter and easier triathlon in May. And, and uh, Mitch and I did our first, like, uh, bike to run, you know, where we, we rode 20 miles and then got off and immediately did a 5K. And it was weird. Like, your legs felt not bad necessarily, but, like, kind of wooden. Squishy. No, just wooden, like solid. Oh. Like they didn't want to, you could move them and everything, but they didn't they want just, to flex or like, yeah. I'm a real boy. They're, yeah, exactly. They're like, tuk, 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 tuk. you know, it's like <laughs> these wooden legs and then they loosened up, but then, it, God you bless know, us, everyone. cause you burn out the quads real heavy riding. And of course these guys, holy crap. I mean, even on those awesome aerodynamic bikes and everything still, I mean, these guys are doing like high twenties averaging more than 20 miles an hour on the. 112 mile ride so anyway he finished in uh, nine hours and 48 minutes and some change yeah chuck and tweeted it so yeah if yeah. you want to if you if you look at my tweet stream you can find him smart, yeah. uh, tweeted it too so and uh anyway he's a super nice guy has been really supportive in uh in in uh as audra and i have started running uh and and i th- i i think it's one of those things i think one of the ultimate uh compliments in triathlon is seeing how you give back to the sport and uh, it's it's fascinating to me how many people who are really good at what they do, like he is. I mean, he finished 26th in his age group, uh, which is not bad. 250-something, I think, out of many, like 2,000. And he 2000. has a day job. Like, some of the yeah. people doing this are, all, are professional yeah. triathletes. It's yeah. all they do is just train. And- right, right. <laughs> so, anyway, good stuff. That was number one. Number two is that, oh, man, the second Red Dwarf episode. Oh, came out this was awesome it was it was truly With awesome fathers and sons fathers and yeah. sons yes you and it's about lister being his own father and uh trying to parent himself which is pretty damn entertaining he uh his he sends himself a, a father's day card like each year he writes himself out this sentimental father's day card and then he gets so drunk that he doesn't remember it and then Crichton delivers it to him the next year wow so he gets one that he doesn't you know that's messed up. Yeah. Well, he uh, he gets drunk. Bottom line is he gets drunk and decides to like uh, parent himself by taking things away from himself. So it, it's it's awesome. He's tough loving himself. He is exactly. They actually talk about that. He yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's super quality. I mean, it is like it's what Red Dwarf ought to be. <laughs> he spaces his guitar. <laughs> he like and himself he shoots it out an airlock, <laughs> so it's like a, a light year away. He's like, what'd you do that for? Because he, he has this tooth filling that he won't get taken care of at the dentist. And he keeps telling himself on the video to go get it taken what care of. What dentist? These, they're like the only they people have the, around. It's There's a dental robot, robot. Oh, it's okay. all, Even that's funny. I mean, it's, it's classic Red Dwarf, you know? It's not... It's like a Star Trek episode with everything wrong. You know, it's... Wow. It's good stuff. I, <laughs> I would say maybe... I, I, it's not as depressing as it sounds. It's actually really funny. It's funny, yeah. We were losing it the whole time and I'm, it's very you sean i think that you could relate to you that, might like you know? that one yeah. like if you had a, a major dental catastrophe you would like you know blob super glue in it and like <laughs> that's you know. mr man he's <laughs> like i'm not dealing with this yeah. we're not doing that if it didn't taste bad i probably would you know <laughs> i can fix this yeah, i can fix it it's fine I'd be like hey sean i got some pumpkin flavored super glue and you're like oh! nom, 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 nom. yeah we would hide that from sean yeah god you know i had to find i had to go super glue something the other day and i'm still looking for all the oh yeah it's hidden everywhere yeah i had to hide the super glue from sean when we were working in the shop all the time so there's little bits of super glue 
little containers of super glue hidden all He's over not the even shop. kidding around about that. He I'm would not. have to hide it. I will, I will super glue anything shut. I'm like, oh, I got to cut. Remember that time, yeah, you like cut your finger open or whatever, and you like, you We're not talking a little. We're then, talking about a big slit in it. Yeah. It, it looked like a, a farmer's plow had gone down the center of his finger. <laughs> That's fine. I'll super glue it He shut. did. He pinched it shut, put some super glue on That's it. That's fine. What we need to do is get you some of that, some of that non-poisonous medical medical super glue. Didn't I give you some like ninja band-aids? Yeah. There you go. You haven't used them. No. (laughs) He did use the Hello Kitty bandages one time. I did. Yeah. It it got so bad. I actually had to super glue it and band-aid it just to make sure. I think what most people don't reason is you and I just don't care. I just don't. (laughs) I really don't. Would hold it shut. Cool. Okay. I cut myself pretty bad one time, and I, I like. wrapped a, a paper towel around it and duct taped it shut and Chuck's just laughing over there. He's like, what's happening? You had a super glue? I'm like, yeah. Then <laughs> yeah, I, I unhid some for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I, I don't do that. We should probably uh, hop into some news here. And now Yeah. Okay, Sean, I see on the list up there RoboCop's hand, and all I could think of was like a Wallowitz type situation. <laughs> that's all my favorite things. Because that's you only built a hand because that's all you needed, right? <laughs> uh, no, um, there and was uh, pick up the ball. Yeah, there was further uh, set leaks of pictures uh, oh. on the RoboCop set. And uh, two things stood out. One, the RoboCop suit in these pictures look like the uh, the like butterfly guards from Tron. You know the the ones that have the the wings on their back and uh-huh. and like they the fly monarch. Out. A little bit, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? The ones that like leap out the window. And yeah, you're talking about the the glider attachment thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They look like those guards that are always hanging out with Tron and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess. Uh, uh, Rinsler, Rinsler, right? Yeah, yeah. Or Rizzler, whatever his name, Twizzler, whatever his name is. Twizzler. Red Vine. <laughs> yeah, Tron, <laughs> Tron in bad mode, right? He's always the guards hanging out with that. He looks kind of like that. But one of the things is he's got the gun, by the way, the... The, the thigh gun? Yeah, the thigh awesome. gun. Awesome. Okay, I'm fine. It's huge, and it looks really cool and kind of updated and everything like that. But he's in the shot, He's he's got it out, and he's holding it and everything, and it's his regular hand. Right? It's like skin Interesting. Hand, Interesting. Which, in the original version, as many of you may know he didn't have a hand left like they turned him into shot it off him yeah i mean they shot it off literally they shot it off of him so he's in this episode they there's been the the big current robocopster is he's got his hand which is interesting not supposed to be there in the typical robocop i don't uh, think that's a big deal though i don't think it's a big deal i was way more (laughs) excited he sinks into the lava at the end he can do the uh like (laughs) the peace sign or whatever (laughs) the thumbs Thumbs up up. yeah Actually, just, he just yeah. did it, and it's great. Too. Yeah, the, the shaking. Kind yeah, of the shaking. Clench. Yeah, um, but uh, I was more excited to see the the sidearm. You know, the gun. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. Looks great. I mean, I think it looks super cool. I totally want one. I I heard, they, they thought it wouldn't be appropriate to give him a handgun without a hand. Right? <laughs> I heard the suit described, I think, accurately as Iron Man with a Daft Punk helmet. Yeah, that seems to be the the big comment that's going around. I think that's a bit harsh. I I'm not sounds cool. To see, me. the difference is is if you told me it looks like Iron Man with a Daft Punk helmet, I'm like that sounds cool. Yeah, there's a couple different <laughs> okay taglines going around. There's uh, Stealth Iron Man. There's uh, uh, Daft Punk. You know, uh, uh, 
you know that kind of stuff. Iron Man with the Daft Punk helmet. There's I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different combinations. The real trick to this is you don't really know what you what effects they're going to do in post. Yes. So you don't know because Iron Man walking around in his suit with no effects on it may not, it doesn't quite look as good either. So Boy, everybody's sure crapping on the new the new suit. They really do not like that off gold look. No, they don't. And I'm not sure what the Iron Man suit in Avengers or what. No, the new one. Yeah, the, the one, Iron Man new three movie. Oh, 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 yeah, Iron Man two. They showed it at Comic Con. You remember? I didn't think it looked bad. I didn't either. I thought it looked pretty cool, actually. Yeah, but I'm I may be a a suit junkie, I guess. Plus, I, I think know. the thing with the Iron Man suit is more what it does than than the ultimate like still photo of it. Yeah, like I mean, let's face it, the suits get cooler because they can do crap like fly out of a closet and come find you as you fall. Well, that's pretty cool. That's I don't care if thing. it's slightly gold if that's the case. It's you purpose know? built, and and you know who am I to second guess Tony Stark's style? You know, I mean, it's the dude's what is it, billionaire philanthropist, playboy, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, I, I'm I don't know. I I think. I think we can give him a pass on that. If he wants to do it hot rock gold, then do it hot rock gold. You know, I'm not really going to pass judgment on it. Uh, but the RoboCop suit that we've we're seeing more things. I thought the the helmet and the uh, the gun were more significant than the nice. fact that he still has his hand. So I thought that was I would agree cool. with that. I mean, the hand to me isn't that big a deal. I mean, I think. To me, the important part was that he had some parts left, a couple, just enough to remind yeah. you that there's a human in there. Yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, it's kind of... Because was all you needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, so, I mean, you have to have his chin and his, you know, his, the bottom half of his face and everything. Right, like that. right, right. But honestly, I, the fact that he has his hand does not... I, I don't think that's indicative of their, you know, oh, everything's ruined, you know. Or as you pointed out, could be adding in post as well. You don't, you, know? you just don't know. Good point. Oh, in uh, in related kind of Avengery superhero news, uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series, uh, they've confirmed that Clark Gregg is going to be playing Coulson in the S.H.I.E.L.D. show. So, nice. more Coulson! Coulson! Yay! So, we'll Maybe assume we'll this meet is that cellist. a uh, prequel. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Uh, they could revive him. That's true. Could be alternate universe Coulson. You never know. Oh hell yeah. Could be evil Coulson. Yeah. Hollow Coulson. Yeah. Clone Coulson. <laughs> I'm just just running down the list of sci-fi yeah. Coulson. Parallel universe Coulson with a mustache. <laughs> evil Coulson. <laughs> Thomas Riker Coulson. <laughs> Separated yeah. at birth. Evil twin. Yeah, transporter you know, accident. Jaunty eye patch, Colson. <laughs> Jaunty eye patch. There's no telling. Colson. Yeah. R. Uh, have you guys seen the the? I guess there's been a couple of images leak out of the Halo Four trailer. No, but how is it? I don't know, man. Every a time couple I, weeks away from the. Release. Every time I see this and the stuff I'm seeing from um, Forward Onto Dawn, you know the the Machinima series mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Damn, it looks good. Wait, Machinima? The, I thought the thing we looked at last week was... No, it's by Machinima. That's the... Oh. That's a... I'm like, holy crap, I thought that yeah. was live action. That's like the best Machinima I've ever seen. No, I mean, it's it's by... The, it's the studio group gotcha. Machinima is right. releasing a live action forward onto dawn of, you know, for every week, every Friday, and I think we mentioned this last... Every Friday, right. they're they're releasing a new thing. Looks great. Um, the, the screenshots I've seen of Halo 4... Or not screenshots, but the you know the leaked things from the trailers. Man, it looks good. 
There's an awful really lot does. of leaking in entertainment industry. It's, they call it leaks. It's sort of like the the whole thing where they like we all just agree to accept the lie yeah. that it's a leak. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the the leaks the the quote unquote leaks only happen at uh, I guess marketing convenient times. Uh, the leaks are always of something of very you know int- you know very uh, a specific interest. Uh, they're spun a certain way. They're released at certain times. They're uh, geographically studio acceptable. Yeah, studio arranged. Oh, yeah. That's always what it is. But I think they that whole process has become very refined now. And they're doing, you know, it's like they just happened to release the first shot of the gun after everybody was like, oh, my God, does he have a RoboCop gun? Does it come out of his thigh? They release, le- you know, they leak pictures of it on the same day, the next week of... Here he is firing the weapon, you know, I, yeah, leaks, whatever. I have to admit that that kind of uh, controlled leakage by the industry, <laughs> sure, flow, I don't detect any sure leaks. Flow. It, it makes me feel a little bit more like a sheep than ever as a consumer. Oh, yeah, total like, sheeple. Not only are we going to get you excited about it, but we're actually going to control the timeline of your excitement and make sure that we stimulate that, you know, part of your brain. Like, once a week, exactly at this time and this day, we're going to make you excited about the movie again so that you talk about it. You know, it's just kind of... You know, it's kind of funny. I, I've been... Uh, I worked... I did a lot of uh, graphic design and, and image Give manipulation. My hat. Yeah, <laughs> I did a lot of image manipulation for a, uh, a Hollywood uh, image consultant uh, a couple years back, and you get to see a little bit of. I say a couple years back. That was now eight, years? eight nine years ago. <laughs> uh, um, wait, let me, let, me get out, let me get out my Sean slide rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's see reality to yeah. Sean. Gee, you could uh, totally do that with a slide rule. You could just have it slide your age in on one side, yeah, yeah. and then the interpretation <laughs> oh, scale yeah. lines up on the and bottom. You get like the phrase "the other day" is like that's you know, seven months ago. Months ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but a while back, yesterday year, yeah, a while back <laughs> that could be last decade. You know, nineteen uh, hundreds. Um, but uh, you get to see kind of how that goes in the whole like arc of Kristen Stewart cheating on on Pattinson and how the studio was going to spend that. I made a bulleted list on how I thought it was going to do it. We are now on bullet five, and I haven't missed one. Oh, wow. It is great. You know, I had a whole 12-step plan on what they were going to do and how they were going to roll it out and all that stuff, and I haven't missed one yet. I'm really excited. If I get all the way to 12, it's going to be awesome. Uh, that means I will have successfully, like, seldoned the, uh, from the Asimov. Uh, I got it. Seldoned the, the future history arc. I did. I got know. it. Oh, he's a big foundation guy. I am. I'm I a big know. foundation fan. <laughs> Harry Seldon is cool. Yeah, you know, I will. I will successfully plotted the future history of the Twilight uh, image spin consulting thing. You know, uh, like yeah, uh, that whole thing was lame. Oh yeah. I'm like, who cares? Yeah. Well, as it turns out, a, an entire army of cash wielding preteens that are hey <laughs> that are that are about. Paying for the studio, you know, like one movie <laughs> as out the of economy three. sinks into its lowest depths in years. Yeah. <laughs> All these kids have just unprecedented spending money. Oh yeah. Well, if you think about it, you know, they're the studio was worried was seriously worried about this army of of you know, Twilight fans that we're not going to spend their movies so much so that they spent all this time working out a a path back to profitability of the Twilight franchise because the fifth 
you know, they they paid her all this, or they paid uh, Stephanie Meyer all this cash to write the fifth one, and now their fifth movie is is in jeopardy. Anyway, we won't have to go into it, but I just thought it was hysterical that whole that whole arc of, uh, I guess, manipulation of the the popular opinion. With I just I thought it thing. was so funny because when the the news first broke, like this summer or whatever, that she had cheated on him. You know, I was only paying vague attention and people were like, I knew it. I always knew she was a slut. You know? <laughs> and then like the next week, you know, another piece wow. of information. Everyone's like, I knew it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, don't go back to her. Don't get your heart broken, Robert. No, no. You know, and now it's all like, well, they worked it out. Oh, she's such a nice girl. Maybe they'll, maybe those you know, Jennifer Aniston is sitting somewhere going, you know, I went through this for real <laughs> and they're just profiting off of it. Well, have you seen the size of Jennifer Aniston's rock? No. Who did she marry again? I don't know. This is some, I don't know, some dude. Guy with a big rock? Yeah, dude with a big rock. <laughs> like takes up half her hand. You're like, oh, crap. Like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and props to you. Uh, yeah. But uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, one more trailer. Have you guys seen the Lincoln trailer? No. No. What, what movie is this? Uh, it's actually called Lincoln. Okay, and so not the Lincoln lawyer and not not Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. Vampire no, no, no. This is what's uh, the Lincoln deal lately? There's like a they're actually going to talk about Lincoln, Lincoln. Yeah, for real. Yeah, like wow. Doris like Kearns Goodwin he, is somewhere like pulling the strings behind Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> how he really was and and uh, you know some of the stuff that he was going through at the time and everything looks seriously cool. Uh, just uh, the Timothy Dalton, I think, is playing. That's awesome. Lincoln. So he went from Bond to Lincoln. And uh, there's the, going through kind of the, the whole prejudice thing and, and the, the, the country's politics at the time and, and kind of how he, he steered them through it and everything. It was really cool. I hope they dramatize the part where Lincoln has been elected president and he needs to travel from his home in Illinois to the White House. And he's so unpopular by, you know, in certain groups and they're so worried about his security that they actually dress him as a woman. And he's in this carriage, like a tall in chick. drag. Yeah. But he's, he's dressed I'm as thinking a, thinking the beard and everything would be a giveaway <laughs> as a chick. Well, you know, I don't know how they dealt with that, but, um, but anyway, yeah, that's supposed to be a real thing that they had to disguise him as a woman to ensure his safety on his way to the White House. Well, on in this movie, in, at least in some of the trailers and everything, you see him and he is supremely unpopular with a large section yeah. of the the country and the politics and, and everything. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Very. It is the only Lincoln movie I'm interested in seeing. Uh, it really, really that pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah, no, it really Really looks cool. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that he was super unpopular with at least half the country, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the way we're polarized now, like, think of it like that, except at the brink of a civil war, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff with that one, and, and it should be fairly cool. Um, there's also uh, the, the series is coming up on the History Channel. It's like uh, Men Who Built an Empire or something like that. And it's uh, about, it's a miniseries with about... Peter Weller. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's doing the Charleston. Yeah, it's about uh, like a uh, kind of a, a drama miniseries thing about Vanderbilt and Rockefeller and all those those guys who you know the robber barons. That is awesome. I would love to see something on that because that is so timely right now with all the interest in in Wall Street and you know 
just the gap between rich and poor growing and things like that. It's yeah. So I mean, super relevant. And we have rubber barons now. It's just different, you know. So it's it's kind of cool. Uh, so there's there's some new stuff coming out. It's pretty cool. I, I haven't seen anything like it. I wanted to uh, just throw out on the uh, the Mary Sue, which is a blog, um, a, kind of a geek girl blog. There's an article uh, that was posted on October 12th, and it's talking about how in the most recent uh, Batman comic issue, uh, number 13, um, in one, I guess it's like there are different versions of it, but on in one version of the back cover, there's this uh, like... I don't know if it's an ad or it's kind of a, a political statement or something, but it's called Villains of Nerd Culture. And it has this drawing of a, a chick cosplaying, looks kind of like, um, you know, Codex from the Guild, like with the little, like, I don't, well, she's actually, she's wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and she's got like a, a bow and arrow and she's saying something like, oh, I look at lolcats all day on Facebook. I'm such a huge nerd. And uh, basically it's saying... You know, it, it identifies these uh, so-called fake geek girls who cosplay as a threat to nerd culture because they're not really geeks. They're not really into it. That supposedly they just dress up and cosplay to get guys' attention and, and to mess with guys and to go to cons to do that. And uh, it's, it's really interesting because um, the Mary Sue responds like uh, Jill... Pantozzi, I think is how you say her name. Uh, she responds to it saying that, you know, it's really not fair to kind of stereotype uh, girl geeks this way because it, it basically creates this kind of hostile feeling toward women who are into geek culture, you know, to assume that if you're a woman, especially like an attractive woman, like a lot of these people are, you know, that you probably really aren't a geek, that you have to fit some kind of uh, image or some kind of... Uh, you know, pass some test or, or something in order to be truly considered a geek. Uh, but it was pretty interesting if you check out uh, John Scalzi's blog, who, you got to admit, always writes cool cultural responses to things. Um, on July 12th, you know, it wasn't in response to this Batman comic, obviously, but uh, a few months back, he wrote an essay on his blog just talking about um, another guy had written kind of a scathing uh, commentary online about how these women come in and just disgust him by toying with men and how they're not really geeks and and Scalzi points out that you can't you can't know that and that you can't you know set up some kind of test or definition of geek and that you know if you're really a geek then you love sharing things with other people when you find somebody who loves what you love then you get excited and you just want to share and Scalzi points out that if you love something and then you see other people get into it and think oh crap the wrong people are into the thing i'm into then that's what defines you as a hipster see i don't know i i always thought that the best uh description of hipster slash geek was uh, uh geeks define things by what they like and uh, what they are and hipsters define themselves by what they don't like and what right. who they aren't that's but, hardwick's definition yeah, right i thought yeah. that was pretty i thought that too. was pretty good but you know, I think a lot of this is a response to a number of different things that get crossed around and sometimes just uglified, you know, like I think there's a little bit of pushback on the commercialization of, of geek culture. The fact that because it's sort of mainstreamed to some extent that 
there are some people who catch the edge of it and, and use it to to sell things. And that's not bad necessarily, but but I can see how that rubs people a little bit differently in some ways. It's, and it's true. I think that like the booth babe culture, you know, you do well, kind of get the sense that they aren't genuinely interested, but are just kind of hired to. Well, I was going to say the other one is 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 sex and the over overlap, you know, where you have a situation where. Uh, you have some people that are from time to time using uh, using that as an excuse to bring a different culture that's that's unrelated I- into it, and and the tough part is is that it's really hard to say where that line is, right? Because sure. it's one thing to have someone who uh, who is comfortable with themselves sexually and is into uh, sci-fi fantasy comics and therefore cosplays with sexy costumes, you know, at which point you can't really say that person's not a geek, you know, on the other hand, if you have somebody who doesn't even know who the character is and is doing this because, Hey, it, it, it's a revealing costume and, and they want that. That's, that's the issue. The trick is you can't just look and judge like that. And There's no geek litmus or anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, That's what they're saying. It's a problem stereotype, know? yeah. And you can mishmash these together, and I think you really easily get that kind of that kind of uh, issue, you know? Yeah, I always thought that one of the coolest comments or you know, on stereotype in general was uh, the writer Bell Hooks. And I, I still, I need to track down this essay because I can't remember which one it is, but she made this comment that, stereotyping whether it seems like a compliment or a positive thing like oh this type of person is always good at math yeah, it's always or music bad. Any or whatever. Look yeah. At it, yeah. she says stereotyping is always dangerous because it obscures individuality and that whenever you do that you're taking away who someone is and uh so yeah i mean even though you can see that yeah sometimes geek culture is commercialized and sometimes people you know, mess around with it and, and may not really be into it. But you can't just, you can't start roping people into that and saying, I know those people when I see them. Yeah. I, if there's one thing I've learned meeting some people through GWC and everything, it's that uh, geek culture is large, large enough that there's a little bit of everybody in it and you just never know. And that's, <laughs> this should, this should tell you as well that in your life, there are probably people around you who are fellow geeks and you just don't know it yet. You know, because I find every time I've done something that kind of made that clear, I found more, you know, like I was I mentioned on the Firefly anniversary, 10th anniversary, I'd worn my uh, Jane shirt to school and found probably half a dozen people who were big fans that I never knew were big fans, you know, and man, you know, there are all types. And it's happened to you too, Chuck. I mean, people have looked at you and thought that you couldn't be a geek or, you know. I think I, I think you're right. You have to be careful with stereotyping. I think that uh, the the tough thing is that that this overgeneralization and this sort of uh, introverted sometimes. Let's face it. One thing that geek culture can be from time to time is introverted, and and sometimes the relationships get kind of strained in it. And I I think that. When you when you stereotype like this and when you start creating this kind of ill will, it becomes difficult to deal with the underlying issues that are way more complex and, and are kind of important, you know? I would say you got to talk to people, you know? Like if you see somebody who is cosplaying or whatever, don't assume that they're cosplaying just to look good or whatever, you know? Ask them or, or Wouldn't find matter out. if they were. I mean, if they were, just... yeah, that's their prerogative, right? But, I mean, if you want to know before making the judgment, see if you can find out. Yeah, it's always an option, you know. 
Hey, uh, one last piece of news here. Um, uh, the uh, I don't I don't know if you uh, I know Sean. We were talking about this before the podcast, and Sean had noticed. But did you you know the guy that was supposedly going to oh yeah do yeah. the uh, high uh, very high skydive recently? No, did, did you hear about that? Know. Yeah. Guy, I guess uh, oh. many many years back, oh, yeah, uh, the Air Force weather. did an experiment with a uh, with with uh, skydiving from very high altitudes with a spacesuit, mainly to test the suit for recovery from high altitude bailouts and stuff like that. Right? I think it was like ninety thousand feet. I can't remember exactly, but a long way up. Uh, the guy had had jumped these weather balloons to do it. Right? These very very large uh, helium balloons, uh, and and they can go up to hundred plus thousand feet. Well, he was going to do a skydive from slightly beyond where the other guy did it, which would not only set a world record, but also the other guy almost went supersonic, was like really close right, to it. Yeah. And he felt like from that higher altitude, he would be able to I go supersonic on the way down. And and they have wind problems. And it's funny, you, you think that it would have to do with him and the suit, but it's really the balloon, apparently. The balloon is so large and so thin to make it work the way it is that it, almost any wind and you can't, you couldn't deploy it, right? <laughs> I was just thinking of those women in the uh, the Trojan condom commercials, or I think they're Trojan, right? You see all the women in the factories like uh, testing all the condoms. You know what I mean? Have you seen those commercials? Uh, apparently not, and that's that's unusual for yeah, me. Yeah, it, it shows them uh, filling them with water and stretching them out to like four feet long and... <laughs> You know, doing all this stuff like pummeling them and stretching them, and it says it says that every single one is tested before you use it. So be careful. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Before you use it, of course. Yeah, they took it out and they you know blew it up to four feet across. I mean, hopefully it'll be fine, right? You are nothing in comparison. Hopefully. Um, anyway, as you can see, <laughs> God. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> that would be bad. As you can see, uh, he is actually, they did manage to launch. Was he in orbit? Well, uh, no, but he's, he's in a, a soundstage in Philadelphia. <laughs> with the moon landing. Where they faked Apollo. What is this? Is this live or something? This is live, yeah. What you're watching right now is he's at uh, just about 60,000 feet. He's been uh, floating upward for about an hour. And when he gets to about, I think it was 120-something thousand feet, uh, he's, he's going to jump out of it. And that's going to be pretty interesting, I think. Can you tell us what you're feeling? Well, wow. I really have to pee. And uh, I'm guessing that he. I was thinking about that. Because, I got nervous, like going to the top of a roller coaster at Six Flags. You know, I I actually think it's funny because I'm by no means experienced, but I did bungee jump twice and I skydive once. And and skydiving, I thought was going to be way worse than, but it wasn't. It was easier. It's like beyond a certain point, your brain doesn't think of it the same. Like when you can see the ground there and you're like, oh my God, I'm a couple hundred feet off the ground. I'm going to die. But at even at 10,000 feet, it doesn't look the same. So <laughs> see, look, there's a giant tested Trojan right there. <laughs> yeah, see, see, he looks like an, he's like in an upside down testicle or something like that. It just does like look a, like that. Yeah, that's pretty close. like a white floating sack. Well, yeah, it's called a balloon. You yeah. may have heard. That's kind of how they work. Is that what they are? <laughs> floating sack. It is. I though. like floating sack better. It is kind <laughs> yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, me too. You're going to call that for kids. Kids, we it's your birthday, so we got you some floating, floating sacks. sacks. <laughs> anyway. Enjoy. Yeah, so an hour into it, 60,000 feet, about halfway up. So in another hour or so, this poor guy's going to jump out. Felix Baumgartner is his name, I think. Um. So there you go. All right. Yeah, pretty- I guess you need you need a name like Felix to pull something like that off. 
Uh, it's. I think it's kind of cool. I, I well, like Felix it. means happy. You know, maybe something that means lucky. Felix is pretty lucky, I think. Is it? Our cat Felix is really lucky, yeah. so I don't know. And he dive bombed the floor from the second floor. So yeah, he was fine. Second, second, yeah, That's was- about the same in terms of scale. So I would say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I like this because a, I think it's interesting that somebody gives a damn about how that works, and b, I think it's really cool that this guy managed to get a crap ton of money out of Red Bull to do something that he thinks oh, is Bull, cool. Oh, Red Bull, that's awesome. So I... I yeah, Red the Bull gives Red, you wings. Red Bull mission control there. <laughs> it's a funny is. bunch of dudes slamming a Red Bull. Going, yep, he's still in the sack. Sounds great. Go ahead, do it. Just do it. Yeah, it'll be fine, man. Just do it. <laughs> when you get down, we'll all drink some Red Bull. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, no vodka in the Red Bull before. After, it's fine. <laughs> Bring it. Anyway, so yeah, hopefully, maybe during the podcast, we'll get to see him jump. <laughs> So this week, being that Halloween is nigh, er, sorry, I always think R like Garfield. Garfield. you haven't like too many pickings <laughs> there, matey. Yes, exactly. Seeing that Halloween is nigh, uh, we wanted to talk about the cool uh, radio show that aired on uh, October 30th, 1938, uh, War of the Worlds, which was pretty much run entirely by Orson Welles. I think it was like produced and written and acted and everything show run by Orson Welles. And uh, it was kind of cool, actually. I was reading a little bit about its background. And uh, it was Mercury Theater on the air. And then what happened is after, after War of the Worlds aired, and it was such a big deal and everything, they did a couple more shows but it became so well known that Campbell's Soup signed on as a sponsor. Nice. And they actually ended the show and then like a week later reopened as Campbell Theater. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, That's how the uh, arts work, man. Yeah, absolutely. Let's capitalize on this. It's like the arts version of No Bucks, No Buck Rogers. Yeah. I have to think about that and come up with a cool saying, but same idea yeah but we thought it was cool kind of a halloween tradition you know to talk about uh radio shows and tv and how we um well it's a sci-fi classic first of all but how we kind of interpret truth and news and um you know what i found interesting was that this wasn't the first time that people had been fooled with a radio program Uh, it had been done like once before, maybe like 10 years before in Europe. And uh, and then it's done in 1938 with Orson Welles. And uh, it's taken from H.G. Wells' novel, obviously, War of the Worlds, which uh, is originally set in England, but they switch it to this little town uh, at Grover Field or something in New Jersey. And uh, it's like an unincorporated town. And uh, what what else is interesting is that 11 years later, in Ecuador, two guys adapt the Orson Welles version of it, translate it into Spanish, and play it saying that there's an alien invasion in Ecuador uh, in the city of Quito or outside Quito. And it causes not only like in the U.S. where people kind of get upset and believe what's happening and start calling their local stations and stuff, it causes riots in Ecuador. And they send out all of their police and firemen and, like, military and everything that they've got. 
out to this town out in the middle of nowhere or whatever to try to stave off the aliens. And so people are freaked out. And then when they find out that it was just a performance, they come back to the radio station and riot. And the guy, one of the writers ends up getting killed. Oh, wow. And That's like half funny. of his family gets killed. And the, yeah, I mean, it's insane. Like a bunch of people end up dying in this riot because everyone was so angry that they expended all their resources and, and bought into it. How dare you fool me? <laughs> no. That was yeah. amazing, though. You know, I I think it's kind of interesting. There's a long legacy from this in a whole lot of different areas. I mean, they teach it in journalism class for obvious reasons, because it gives you kind of an insight into how people think about mass media. And, and what that, you know, at least 10 or 15 years ago when mass media really was the only game in town. Broadcast was the only communications method that allowed you to reach large numbers of people uh, quickly, period. And with that being the case, there was this kind of responsibility that weighed on the gatekeepers to those broadcast gates, you know, that, that, that broadcast system. And in order to try to explain that, this was used in, in, uh, in journalism schools to try to give an idea of what can happen. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I have one other memory. Do you remember this, Sean? You, maybe you do. Audrey. They, they had a TV program that was similar to that. And it, it had something to do. I can't remember if it was aliens or if it was like, it was something like a, a nuclear event or something that was to be broadcast. Like it was in real time. And I think it was on NBC. I might be wrong. It was in the eighties. In the eighties. Yeah. And and it was funny because they had so much concern about it, like it, yeah. it almost did not happen. And finally, they did it. But the way they did it was coming in and out of each commercial, they had a, a, a 30-second disclaimer that said, this is not real, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, and then I they, do remember that. They also put it up, literally, they had a crawl on the screen, like every oh, wow. so often they would crawl across and be like, this aliens. is not real, this is not real. I want to say it was maybe some kind of nuclear terrorism thing or something else. But, you know, the trick is, is that it it, it, it was designed to look like news because, right, right. you know, that's what it was simulating. And I think there have been a number of things that have changed how we look at that a little bit. Um, number one is is the erosion of of uh, of broadcast as the only method to meet, you know, the, the erosion of the sort of monopoly that broadcast have had on reaching large numbers of people. You can tweet something and if it's big news, it can reach a large number of people, you know, and, and I'm not saying this is better, which is the utopist view, right? That, Hey, we finally threw off the, uh, you know, the, the bastards that, that had control of everything. And now we have control. No, no, actually now you have this sort of strange, social interaction sort of thing that is in charge of, of that, which is not by any means one person or even a group of people. No, it's much more organic than that. Yeah, it's sort of scary, but uh, good or is bad. Is Chinese whispers racist? <laughs> <laughs> from the new Red Dwarf, which is awesome. But anyway, so that's part of it, I think, is that because they're not the only ones now, the responsibility doesn't maybe seem quite as, as big. In fact, think about this. You know how it, for years they always called the media the fourth estate? In, in our, you know, in, sort of in our society, you have the three branches of government and the fourth being this 
broadcast media institution that is designed to, and by broadcast, I don't just mean TV. I mean, any one to many, you know, like newspapers will be broadcast media as well by this definition. And, and they were the ones that were required in, in our democracy the, to make it all go. They were part of the machine. So they called them the fourth estate. You notice you don't hear that term very much anymore. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't see use because I think we see them less and less as the fourth estate. The other side of that kind of weakening that maybe changes like the big question to me is if you were to do this again today, how would it work? Right. And it is that I think we don't trust near as much as we used to, or at least we don't think in terms of trusting or not trusting based on accuracy. You know, there's what, what's the logical fallacy called where you, 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 you say that because it's in someone's interest for facts to be a certain way that they will say that regardless. And it's an attack, not on the fact itself, but rather the intent of the person. I think it's one of the ad hominem yeah. arguments. It's it's great. Is it genetic fallacy. No, that's attacking the history of it instead of the. Remember. It's great. Audra has this awesome sheet and and website full of like uh, uh, all the types of logical fallacies, and they have these awesome little icons next to them. Yeah, uh, it's yourfallacyis.com. It's awesome. Yeah, perfect for linking. It's designed for linking in flame wars too, incidentally. So if you want to like <laughs> let somebody know how they screwed up, I didn't see it can, that way though. I mean, you can you, direct you could use it that way. Chuck's like, I found a way to use this as a missile. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but I, I, I probably would have before. But uh, anyway, the I, I think that that has become so common now. You see it in politics on on every side. It seems like when when somebody doesn't like something that comes out, they say, "Yeah, but it's in their interest, so ignore it." You know, and, right? Of course, they would say that they're because it benefits you know. them. Of course, they would a, say that. You it know? is a form of an ad hominem argument because it's an attack not on their argument. What they're actually saying, it's an attack on the person, on the character. Right. You know, suggesting that, well, they're part of this group, you know, uh, you know, you're Catholic. Of course, you would say that because it supports your views or, or you're, you know, liberal. Of course, you would say that. Yeah. Whatever. And the trick is it doesn't actually say anything about the content. It could be right. It could be wrong. Well, it's the you old know? lawyer thing. You know, when the when the truth isn't working for you, attack the system. You know, when that isn't, you know. With the Constitution on I trial. I won't stand here while you badmouth the United <laughs> States of America. <laughs> Mojo. 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 But you were pre-med, man. Yeah, what's the difference? <laughs> That's awesome. You know, what I found, <laughs> what I found uh, interesting, though, too, is that I always thought about this, you know, in 1938, I always thought about people as being just less savvy about media. You know, more more trusting, more gullible, more kind of like they believed it if it was on broadcast media because of that, you know, and I think that to some degree that's true, but I was surprised to learn that there's a lot of complexities around, like there are people who've done lots of studies about this and, you know, like you said, Chuck and communications classes and theory and everything. And one thing was, is that everybody was really super tense and on edge about world war two, which was about to begin basically. Mm-hmm. And they knew, um, or I guess, you know, that's not really fair, is it? I mean, I think it probably had already begun, but the United States wasn't involved right, yet. Right, so, right. so it's, I don't think everybody knew how serious it was yet. Right. But, but it everybody, was not world war two yet. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, everyone was on edge because, um, Hitler at the time was, uh, in doing a campaign in Munich and, uh, I don't know all the details, but basically Americans were getting a lot of radio news that gave them a lot of kind of 
up-to-date, intimate sort of details about what was going on in Germany. So every time they heard stuff, they were used to it kind of every day, just incre- like ratcheting up the stress level. And uh, ironically, Hitler actually used the uh, the kind of after effects of the War of the Worlds radio broadcast, the, the fact that a lot of Americans... Not most, you know, but enough, like enough people believed it that it became a story, you know. And Hitler actually used that to say that it was uh, the decadence of our society, like the decadence of a democratic capitalist society, you know, that had led to this kind of idiocy where people would just believe anything and there and there was this uh, interesting political cartoon where it showed uh americans saying wow those germans will fall for anything you know they're being led around by the nose and then it showed people going oh aliens are invading well what's interesting to me is that we worried for so long that that we would blindly trust the broadcast media and that and that that would be a bad thing you remember when we used to the big deal used to be that you have to be careful that these sources that seem, you know, good cannot al- are not always right. And it's funny because now we've sort of switched that education a little bit. Now it's like, the, you know, the cry at the lower kind of education level is, is you got to be aware of things like Wikipedia because they're not an authority. And it's like, it's sort of like what's happened is we've gone from blindly trusting the one source to not trusting any source, which actually has worse consequences. You know, if we don't trust anything, we tend to think, well, everybody is bending things. This is the argument that allows manipulation of truth, right? Everybody bends everything because they have a desire for it to be a certain way. Right. So now scientists so you can't say trust and anything. Say, well, that's, that's just your so opinion. So you can't then. trust anything. So now what you got to do is just pick what you believe. And and we end up where you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, my favorite is the, uh, you know, you, you go and push the, the stupid edges of those things and you get stuff, uh, and this is one of my, my favorite examples of this, is you ever seen uh, or read Idiocracy? I haven't, but I know about it. Uh, it's hysterical. Yeah, same here. I, I've heard about it. but yeah, it's, it's great. It's basically you, the media just gets, gets the mass public dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. And finally, at the end, you know, they're, um, you know, they've used up all the resources, they can't grow crops and they don't know why. And they're basically, uh, you know, because the media has told them that, that stuff, and I can't remember what they call it, but it, basically they're, they're throwing Gatorade on crops and it's killing them. And they don't understand why, because it's supposed to do a body good, you know, it's everything you need to grow. And, <laughs> and cause that's what the media has told them. And they're too dumb and too uneducated to figure out that they're killing themselves cause they're, they don't understand it. So, I mean, you, you wind up with that kind of thing where the media just makes you stupid. And then you get to the thing like you're talking about, the other end of it, where you don't believe anything because everybody's lied to you. And it's it's kind of funny to watch the play back and forth because you get both. you know. But uh, everyone's afraid of one or the other and you still wind up not thinking. Well, there were a couple of other things, too, that allowed people, I think, to be drawn into this where they might not have otherwise been. Uh, one was that CBS did something that was unprecedented. It actually said, we interrupt this broadcast to bring you news of. And they had never done that before to bring a performance. They had only done that to bring actual news. So after this, they promised to never use that phrase again unless it was real news. Um, the other thing was the way that Wells had control, Orson Wells had control of the program. 
instead of having timed commercial breaks that were like every five minutes or whatever, he could put the commercial breaks wherever he wanted. So they waited until like 45 minutes into the hour long program to start putting the commercials in. And it lined up where there was another radio program on a different station that was really popular that something the Sanborn something um, Wells knew about that. And he knew that a lot of people would probably flip over toward the end of War of the Worlds to hear the other show. So he kind of crammed all the commercials in at that end. And so what that meant, too, was that it went on for like 45 minutes with no commercials. So that made it more convincing that it wasn't a performance. I think what what interests me kind of is how this exposes what our cues are to some extent for finding for for what's what's real and what's not. And it's kind of funny because you look at like the onion, you know. And the onion is awesome. I mean, the onion does this with humor every day. Well, right. The media in Iran last week apologized (laughs) for, you know, that gaffe where they they saw an onion story that they thought was real and and published it in their normal media. Like I said, I'm not going to throw any rocks at them because I think, I mean, how many times have you seen one that's maybe not quite as over the top as normal? And you're like, huh, you know, before you're like, oh, yeah, this is onion, right? And then again, I mean, how many times have you seen like a real story and went, this must be the onion, right? Oh, crap. uh, (laughs) No, really? (laughs) The story they did in China a little while back where the the woman found this thing and it's like, oh, this incredible mushroom and everything. And it was actually a sex toy. And they, (laughs) you guys didn't see this? No, No, I missed it. That's hysterical. So she's in there and she's playing with this, this, it looks like the insert to a uh, uh, fleshlight. And she's like playing it, and look, it seems to have some kind of lips here. You know, this is the strangest mushroom. She thought it was a seen. biological, like a yeah. plant. Oh yeah, yeah. And she's doing this news story and everything. She's playing what, with she it. She find and, it on the floor of a forest. Well, they well no they they <laughs> uh, somebody. Where do you think they make them? <laughs> they 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 quote unquote dug it up in a construction area, which is basically just somebody walked by and dumped it in there and everything. And these construction workers, and this is all in like this rural kind of town and stuff, and they. You know, nobody knew. That's awesome. Quote, unquote, nobody knew what it was. And she did this whole story. And it was a mainline China that, that found the strangest mushroom ever. And it was it was the insert for a flashlight. You know? <laughs> and suddenly after that, you know, the, the whole Chinese uh, uh, media station and everything were issuing all kinds of things. Oh, it was a very young reporter. And she didn't know what she was doing. And she's, you know, uh, the whole thing. But, yeah, she... They didn't know what it was. You know, you're Interesting. Like, it's individualism takes hold when it's going to blame someone, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, it's got to be an onion story. This can't be. Oh, it is. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, that's, that's what I'm talking about. You're just like, really? <laughs> but it is. I mean, you, you wind up with some of that. But, yeah, I mean, we have interesting cues. Like, uh, it used to be, too, like early on the web when you had good-looking websites. That was an indicator, you know? And... And you'll note that an indicator that you could trust it or, or yeah, or that it was probably a larger well-funded organization, you know? And of course now there are a lot of well-funded organizations on the net that are not necessarily sure. putting truth out. What do they call those? There's a name for those sites that are designed to look like one thing and they obviously are another. Oh, I don't know. There's a name for it. You know, like it happens a lot with the Martin Luther King. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? Sure. Sites that are I use that, yeah, when we teach uh, evaluating sources on the web. Right, right. Um, they're designed, they're, they're white supremacy sites that are created to look like the opposing view. Holy crap. But, but incorporate their own ideas into them. 
to try yeah. to c- catch people and confuse them. And yeah, one of the like leading prominent Martin Luther King websites, you know, um, is actually run by a a KKK like neo Nazi group, and it's not hard to find that with a little bit of digging. But you know, some people have, oh, well, a lot of people have been drawn into it. It looks, it doesn't look like a very savvy website anymore. It hasn't been updated in a long time. But when they first launched it. Yeah. When they first launched it, it was like on par with most other websites. So a lot of people got roped into it. And Ooh. it's a dot org. And there are a lot of people who unfortunately still have hang no on. idea that anybody can register a dot org. Yeah, a lot of people still kind of hang on to that old belief that, you know, a dot org is going to be more trustworthy because somehow anybody can register a, anything. I know. That's what I told them. Like, it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. I think there are limitations on, on the country. Uh, codes the country uh, uh, top level domains right right but I mean some countries enforce them and some don't like like .ca I'm pretty sure actually enforces it like you couldn't register a .ca here I didn't mean literally anything but I meant like .com .org oh yeah in fact I just thought it was fascinating that there are only a couple that have any kind of legislate any kind of enforcement at all right I mean when you think about it like a .gov has to be a government but you know, the government is run by people who have agendas and you have to think still. And a .edu is run by a university organization, but student websites can go through a .edu. .XXX has a couple mandates and stuff like that as well. But You can't use it for non-porn? You know, it's just kind of strange. They, <laughs> That'd be they awesome. Whole porn content of, has to be like 78%. I totally wish mandatory. That was the case. <laughs> no, the other way, you know, but yeah, I totally wish that would. No, you have to do porn. That's all. That's your only choice. But a lot of people are, are registering like the, the dot triple X's and everything so that they're. So there's no. Defense, I go to dot triple X because you know. I like to read the articles. Right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, so Wait, why are they registering it? Uh, so like Mitt Romney dot. Oh, I see. Just to mess with people. Yeah, Yeah, I see. So they'll start registering anything they've got in XXX just for defensive purposes Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. It's all these Photoshop pictures of Mitt Romney wearing like oversized football jerseys and stuff. Well, have you seen uh, the the Mitt Romney, uh, uh, God, what is it? The the one by Psy, the gunman style. Oh, right. No. The the Mitt Romney style thing. Oh, yes, I have seen that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a knockoff of it, but it was like... Don't ask me. Know. I'm meme impaired, remember? I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys haven't seen the history of dance. I can't believe that. I haven't seen that, but I have seen that. I know what you're talking about. I have I seen that. I bet you you have. You just don't know what I'm talking about. I, you, I cannot the believe The history of dance? Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. I would I would remember that. I'm going to pull it up after the cast. You guys will see it. I, I, I can't believe you guys haven't seen that. Anyway. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting take. But no, I, I think it's it's interesting to me that we have to, it seems like the big the big kind of drive in schools is to, is to tell people you have to, you have to qualify the source and you got to be very wary of things like Wikipedia that are group edited and put together. And, and the funny thing is, is that from a, a standard accuracy standpoint, Wikipedia is about as accurate as, as, uh, as Britannica was. Um, but that what that really says to me is that Britannica wasn't really all that incredibly accurate. And, and it means that we need to qualify all sources, not just, not just online sources. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, well, there has to to be some standard of, you know, evaluating, thinking, you know, critiquing, deciding, you know, what, what to trust. And you're right. I mean, people can get so skeptical that it, it turns into this horrible kind of extreme so I'll just mushiness, accept something. Yeah. mushiness about truth where we start to say, 
well, you know, that's just your opinion. Someone will say, well, you know, this is how gravity works. And they'll be like, no, man, that's just your opinion. And it starts to get kind of scary. Like, you know, you people, the, people uh, will deny science and they'll deny all kinds of empirical things because they don't believe in it. And we're starting to get like a real mushy line between belief and empiricism. Have you seen the uh, the, the meme going around the guy that's like, yeah, and then they they didn't believe in the theory of gravity and floated away. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's like... And it's like, I wish. At the <laughs> It's like Bugs Bunny, you know, when he's sitting there in midair. I never studied gravity. Is, I'm, no, I'm defying the law of gravity, but I never studied law, you know. And he's sitting there in there. He's, he won't fall. You know, somebody Sam's so plummeting to his death. And, yeah, or like the, the Roadrunner. I mean, the like the, the you know. Um, Wiley Cody. Wiley Cody doesn't fall until he realizes that he should fall. Exactly. Then he falls. Then he falls, yeah. Yeah. There's it's very things. like Descartes, you know. <laughs> It's very what now? <laughs> Did I hear that wrong? I'm what? just messing with you. But anyway, I, I this this show War of the Worlds. It's fun, by the way. You can get uh, you can get recordings of the original radio shows, oh, yeah. which are totally worth it. By the way, yeah, we the original one is great. It is truly creepy. You know, like I mean, even now it's creepy. And there's something about the fact that it's radio that you don't have the effects to mess with you or anything. It's just. You know Kinda. what is what is yeah. also cool? This has been redone about once every ten years by some professional group. In 1994, um, there was a, a remake of it, a radio broadcast remake of it, uh, which I guess would be celebrating what? Well, I, I think it was celebrating the anniversary or something. But anyway, it was uh, Gates McFadden, Will Wheaton, Armin Shimmerman, Brent Spiner, um, like pretty much everybody from like next gen and a couple of people star from, trek light yeah yeah i mean it was a whole bunch of star trek actors got together and and did the radio show and broadcast it so i thought that'd be cool to get my hands on that one because i haven't heard it hey, next year will be the 75 year right uh 1938 yeah. uh 60 70 yeah oh that's cool yeah it is nice that's pretty fun there's something kind of cool about on, I think on, on, and I know we wanted to talk about this some next week, so don't want to necessarily plow down that path, but I, I think we have to fit this into Halloween. I mean, why does this fit so well with Halloween? And I think it's because Halloween has kind of a tradition of exploring difficult things, you know, be it death or be it uh, things you're scared of other than death, you know, like in this case, some external force or, or and in a lot of ways you could argue that, that you, as you pointed out with world war two looming, right. And, and, and bad. a lot of people thought that uh, they kind of heard secondhand. They thought that Germans were invading when they heard it, which kind of, I think shows the, the connection, the direct connection there. A lot of times, like when we talked about robots, you can see how we use that to explore things that, that. Well, uh, imagine if there was a radio show right now that was, you know, really convincingly done and they said that it was you know a terrorist attack sure. or something i mean or especially if this had happened like in the the year or so after september 11th you know i mean i was pretty creeped out by anything remotely in that direction you know i was creeped out just watching planes kind of flying low coming into the airport i was creeped out by planes not flying that was what yeah. creep me out. I still remember that. I think being in the middle of nowhere compared to where these things happen, 
the thing I still remember is this guy in DFW is a big airport, Dallas Fort Worth. So there, there are airplanes in the sky over us all well, the time. Yeah, we're in Glide Path, pretty much. No matter where you are, you know. Yeah, so we're under the yeah we're under the Class B in a place where they're flying relatively low. So you're going to see you see a lot of airplanes. Bottom line, at any point you're in the Metroplex and you look up and the sky's full of airplanes. And I can still remember the sky not being full of airplanes, being empty, and that was really creepy. But uh, but I'm with you. You know, I mean, when you find those stresses, uh, of course, uh, um, uh, Michael Crichton was always like the master of finding those things i think you know everything from uh you know after the moon landing with uh what was it called andromeda Crap. the andromeda strain right oh i remember, remember that, that? Yeah. all the way to you know jurassic park with bioengineering yeah with and, the dna stuff. yeah i mean just he, he was a master of finding that thing that we were kind of that thing freaked that out thing. <laughs> that we were kind of afraid of and and just pulling it out and showing it to us and and being like look 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 at this thing you're afraid of I, here's I'm sorry, the worst i'm sorry to interrupt with something totally off topic but you just made me think chuck it would be awesome to have uh lauren hill return with that song um you know that thing that thing Except that hippo. thing Except and, have, hippo. and have hippo in the video yeah wouldn't that be awesome I'll he'd, shake it like a flag. He'd just be <laughs> freaking out. He'd be like, uh, "Sorry." Anyway, you get extreme close-ups of hippo's face. You know, you get that thing I see. I wonder if people even remember that no. message. That thing. <laughs> yeah, subject. Body, did you get that thing I sent you? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, anyway, I, I I think we ought to listen to that. That could be a fun uh, Halloween. Uh, Halloween thing to do. I want to find the Star Trek one. <laughs> <laughs> that could be good, but there's something. You remember when we were driving that one yeah, time and I do. we listened on to it? On the road it trip and we listened to the whole thing. We listened to the whole thing. On, it's an hour. I mean, we have it around here somewhere. Oh, yeah. And that was just, that creeped me out in a good way. That was awesome. Orson Welles hadn't directed any films yet when that happened. And he became, you know, even more famous for all of this. A lot of people got mad. Well, you know, and there's, yeah. and it wasn't like a widespread. It wasn't like the entire United States. I guess like you know, three million people tuned into that show, which is a lot. And they said that they thought about a third of them, you know, later on is surveyed and stuff. They thought about a third of them indicated that they had believed it. And there were enough calls. It also didn't help that in this uh, city up in Washington State, there was a blackout, like a power outage, <laughs> at the same time, and everyone started connecting it, thinking that they were related, but. Anyway, it was pretty funny. We, we, we watched Rocky last night. Oh, wow. Haven't seen it since I don't remember when. Yeah, Chuck had watched it forever ago and I had actually not seen it. So I remember like seeing clips of it on TV when I was a kid, but, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was a good <sighs> movie. Very, very simple and honest, you know? Yeah. Just something magic too about things that you would never get to. And and I, I know this sounds weird, but it kind of goes with what we were talking about here because we're talking about media literacy and the sophistication of our understanding of media, the general public's understanding of media. And it's funny because we like to say, I think that we're so sophisticated with movies now, you know, uh, we just will figure things out and we're so, you know, we think about things so much more complex. Right, people used to be simple and gullible and... And yet we're you watch now. We were watching and thinking, you remember back at a time when they didn't tell you everything? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Were they just sort the of expected you to there's figure no it out? There's no music and there's no, there are no cues, there's no effects, nothing. Just a guy does something weird and then leaves the room and we're like, why did he do that? You have to think about like, it. I guess and we just have to wait out. and see, you know. <laughs> How, uh, they're gonna They'll m- tell us in a minute, I'm sure. <laughs> it's like now, if they don't tell us instantly why they've done everything, we're like too. I don't understand. Sucked. Yeah, I just I don't Nothing get it. Nothing connected. Anything? Yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, it was fascinating, and and holy crap, you know, can you imagine a movie now where things don't work out? perfectly or crash horrendously yeah like everything has to just be to this climax from hell one way or the like other screaming soundtrack with effects and sh- camera shaking and and now you know, massive amounts of makeup and you know everything it's the fight ends he didn't win and nobody cares yeah and they move on and the and the film ends you're like you could never do that these days no and that's uh, maybe be on the IFC channel at 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> what if, what yeah. if somebody did, though? before maybe, you're done, maybe you could do that. I don't know. You know, and that's it. I think I was fascinated. I had not realized too how, how uh, critical that was to Stallone, you know, that he kind of was that dude when it comes to acting, like he didn't really have anything. And on his seat, he, his, uh, his speech was so bad and, he didn't really he wasn't able to i mean he had to do coaching just for people to understand him on that movie actually yeah i was reading he wrote it you yeah know? oh yeah and uh imdb says anyway that he sold it and and this this rings of imdb truth anyway uh that he he sold it to them uh with the contention with the you know the point being that he had to star in it and that it caused all kinds of problems they cut the budget because of that and it was made for a million bucks, they said? Yeah, yeah, the budget was two, and when they found out that he was going to star and that he wasn't known, they cut it in half. That's about a third of the budget for Mallrats. Yeah. Seriously. Which was about three times what it should have been. Anyway, it, it's fascinating to me to see them make a movie. We were also fascinated by how, mit, how much of that movie was, like, accidental. Mm-hmm. Just things that didn't work out, like the, the, the skating rink being empty because none of the people showed, and uh, I don't know fascinating stuff and i think a comment on our media literacy now but what made me think of it was you're talking about the power outage and we were watching it and we had rented it and we're watching it streaming right oh yeah, yeah. and literally the it was credits like come oh, up at the, the end. credits come up and pew, power goes out yeah we're like well that worked out pretty well <laughs> all right cool cool <laughs> we had 30 seconds of power outage so you must have been out for like a day surprisingly enough no wow that's, it didn't hit me which is rare because I had all my computers turned off and everything. You know, I was I was ready. You know, I was, I was like, all right, you are not going to take me by surprise. I know, you know we haven't figured out who like really important or famous or whatever lives yeah, in Mary our. Yeah, but you guys in have in power when nobody version. in the area has power. I bet it's like the. It's like us in Highland Park. It's know? probably like the technical lead for like co-serve or something it's like yeah. the entire freaking area can be out and chuck's like no i got power man yeah, What's our up? neighborhood and and the neighborhood in dallas where george w bush's family lives yeah, like you guys they're the only two power. places that never lose power i'm like did you i was out of power for two days you're like no man it's nothing i don't understand <laughs> they have to power genie's underground bunker and they yeah like <laughs> that's where it's it in is Bush's basement yeah. <laughs> yeah, my house my brother's house my parents house work all of our you know and chuck's like no man i haven't seen, you know is there a problem or what's up i haven't heard from you <laughs> You suck. Yeah. Well, anyway, time to wrap up, guys, and we've we've got uh, another Halloween discussion next week. 
Yeah, next week. Uh, looking forward to it. Just general Halloween stuff. We're going to be talking about uh, death traditions and, you know, all the pop culture stuff, zombies, raising the dead, where all that stuff comes from. It's awesome. Be We've good. been kicking it around yeah. and it's already fun just thinking about it. Hell yeah. So, uh, Audrey, got anything to add here at the end? Nope. That was it. Sean? I'm good. Uh, good old Felix is at uh, 93,500 feet and has not jumped yet. So. All right. Good. Good. Sissy. Hopefully anytime <laughs> soon here. Uh, it's starting to look uh, quite a bit like space, though, yeah. as you Don't can you know, see. Like, does he have a spot where he's planning to land? Yeah, I thought about that. That's kind of interesting. The you know planet. how you can drift quite a ways yeah, when I mean, you jump from 10,000 feet? No, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know where he launched. Did he launch from Roswell? Is that what they said? No There's way. a whole if lot were, of nothing out there. If you were going to land on the Earth randomly, the odds are that you would hit water. I don't think he's going to land on the Earth randomly. He's going <laughs> to fly. I, I if you could just go out in a I balloon. I feel certain. That if you could just go up in a balloon to 100,000 feet and jump and land randomly on the Earth, I think we'd have faster air travel now. But uh, anyway, we'll keep watching and see what happens. We'll see you all next week. On behalf of everyone here at GWC, thanks for listening. And thanks to all who make GWC possible, including producers Soleil, form moderators Badger Spoon, Pike, and Frack and Talos, GWC Book Club Maven, Casilda, and tech guru Juan Drew. Remember, if you'd like to share your opinions with the GWC crew and listeners, you can call us anytime at 214-296-9229, extension 701. You can also contact us via galacticwatercooler.com, our website and blog. But you should really spend some time over on the GWC forum. GWCers really are the friendliest people on sci-fi. We're always re-watching or group-reading something fun. You might even find a GWC meetup somewhere near you. GWC is funded by advertising and by listeners like you. For information on how you can donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. Finally, special thanks to Ferris and his friends Encoder and Jim Minadeo for GWC's sweet theme music. For more Encoder, visit them at myspace.com slash Encoder.